Hello and welcome. My name is Courtney Whitney. I'm a tenacious follower of Jesus, an army wife, and a mother to six precious souls, two of whom came to a special delivery from China. We own a big red van that carts our tribe around. On this podcast, we explore stories of ordinary people living bravely. We're so glad you've joined us for this conversation from the BRV. Ladies and gentlemen, I have Rick and Lisa Walls on the podcast this week. I'm super excited for you to hear their story. I feel like they have like multiple stories. Lisa, you kind of alluded to the idea that there's like stories that go into stories and I'm just excited about it because I love stories. (laughs) So um, why don't you two introduce yourself? Um, Where do you live? How many kids do you have? What do you do on the daily? Let me know. Yeah, um, so my name is Rick Walls and my wife is Lisa. Uh, We live in Southeast Alabama in Houston County. Um, I work full-time as a retail store manager for a local um, Christian-owned retail business. And Lisa does all her work in the home with seven children that we have together. um, And also our foster, our foster calling that, that we have kids in and out of the house with. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And Lisa, do, you did, do you work outside the home where you did once or? I did, I did. Um, even after we started fostering, at one point we had nine kids in the home and I was working up to 30 hours a week um, as a paralegal, but with court dates and uh, therapy appointments for kids and things, it just, it got to be a lot. Yeah. So we decided it was probably best if I was here and I was a constant in their life to be able to meet those needs and those appointments and things. So, so I've been home now for um, two or three years, I think maybe Something at least like two that. years that I've been home and quit because I would do freelance jobs and cover vacations and things for attorneys too. And finally we just decided this is, this is where I needed to be. Sure. Yeah. I think like, yeah, I think like any calling, you know, you, you reshape and reorganize your life to, to make things work and to figure out how you can do it better. And, and that was one of the things that we just saw as a need to do. Yeah. Well, I super get that. And I just have six. <laughs> so, um, okay. Well, so your foster parents in Alabama, and I just kind of wanted to get a bead. I feel like Lisa, you kind of have a bead on like what the need is in your area. And I don't know if you feel like it reflects the rest of the country, but what, what is the picture of the need in where you live in Alabama for foster parents? So our county is, is really close to Georgia and Alabama, I mean, in Florida line. And it's kind of probably one of the more active counties as far as foster care goes in the area. Um, Houston County averages between 150 to 200 kids in care at any given time, and um, the county operates probably 25 to 30 foster homes at any given time. So there's there's a huge need where we are. Um, We have a revolving door um, of kids that are coming in. We desperately need homes that are willing to take older kids and sibling groups and be willing to keep those together. Um, some of the smaller counties around us are not quite as active. A lot of times they'll even end up taking kids from our county to help out. But I definitely think it's a representation of other states and, and other areas. I mean, obviously, Birmingham, Alabama is much bigger. Jefferson County, they have two different districts in their own county. So there are much bigger areas than us. 
um, there's a website, um, if you're, you're probably familiar with the Christian Alliance for Orphans, mm-hmm. um, CAFO.org, and you can actually go on there and click your state and it'll break it down to the numbers of kids in foster care and waiting for adoption in your state for foster care. That's good information. I guess I, I mean, I was familiar with it, but I didn't realize that they would give you that kind of information. Okay. All right. Good. So that, so huge need where you are. And um, so backtracking, was this something that you have always wanted to do? Is this like, we got married and decided we were going to foster kids? Or was it like, hang on, this sort of came bumping at us later on? What happened there? Um, I knew I wanted to adopt. Um, It was actually a conversation we had before we ever even got married. Like, my best friend growing up was adopted. My dad's cousins were adopted. Like adoption was just, I had an awareness and I wanted to adopt. Um, we went through classes to adopt only for foster care. We narrowed it down to foster care just based on it was kids in our own community. It was more financially within reach for us than say private adoption. But I was still of that mindset that I could never foster a kid and give them back. Mm. And the goal of foster care is always reunification. So I said, I couldn't do that, but there are children who have already been through the system who are legally free for adoption that need homes. And I was like, I can do that. Um, Same classes for whether you want to adopt or foster. So we started classes um, in January of 2017 with that full intent that we were going to adopt. And um, it's 10 weeks of classes here. You go for three hours a night, one night a week. And I think probably week two or three. I think it was the second week. Like um, I just got real emotional and we were riding home and I looked at Rick and I said, you know, I feel like if I am praying to adopt these kids, then I'm literally praying for their families to be torn apart. Mm. Like I'm not supporting reunification. I just want to adopt. Mm. And um, I said, I think we can do this foster thing. And that opened the floodgates. I mean, it has been one placement after another since we started. We were licensed by what? June of that year we got our first placement yeah Yeah, we got our first placement in June so six months later we had our first placement and um, we've not we've not been empty since I mean obviously we've adopted in that time too but we've had multiple placements this is actually the first time that we've just had one placement in the house in four years it's crazy I mean it's not I've heard others you know other stories where it is yeah it's just I don't want I don't know if I should use the term revolving door but it's sort of endless. It is. I mean, it, it, it does sound bad. I mean, it's because it's children, you know, but that's the truth, I think, is there are so many. And I mean, it's not this way for everybody. I think some people are, they have better boundaries in place. Maybe, maybe they're better. Maybe they're guarded um, and they're better at saying no. So not everybody looks the same. I mean, we tell people all the time, like, you don't have to have nine kids in your house. I mean, one child definitely makes a difference. Um, our thing is when we get that call, we just kind of we sit down with our family, including our, our other kids in the house that are biological or adopted. And we, we talk about the, the scenario and we pray about it as a family and then decide, can we meet this need or can we not meet this need? And more often than not, it may not be comfortable, um, but I don't think God wants us in our comfort zone. So a lot of times we can meet the needs. So we, we do. And I mean, it's been a very sacrificial journey for us and our kids, I think. But yeah, sometimes it's been just for a night um, for an emergency placement. Uh, but then other times it's been for, for months, um, and, or years, uh, in, in some cases. So each, a lot of people ask what, how long does a typical kid stay in your home or what's it typically look like? And it's, it, there really isn't a typical, 
Mm. It's always so unique to the child and the family um, and the circumstances that it's really hard to, to, to give a kind of cookie cutter answer to that. It's really a range of, of things and, and just uh, being prepared to, to deal with, with whatever you need to deal with and committed to do so is, is what's kept us going, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, that's really good. Uh, I like the, what you said, Lisa, like, I don't really think God wants us to just be comfortable. <laughs> we can't grow if we're not willing to go where he sends us. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't think, I think, like I said, I think there's absolutely healthy boundaries that a lot of foster parents and adopted parents have to put into place. You know, we need a break and we get that. I mean, there's, we're, we're at that point now, like we could easily take more, but there comes a point where you're just like, okay, we need to just slow it down a little bit because especially, you know, once you adopt, I mean, that's a commitment and there are needs that need to be met. And when you adopt from foster care and there's other kids that come in and out of the house, sometimes even though they know they're adopted, when that child leaves, it, it kind of triggers them like, okay, well, am I going to leave now? Like what happens? And so you have to just kind of gauge slowly. I mean, this is also a current point where our one that we have left in the house is, is much younger than everybody else currently in the house. Cause our last one that we adopted was our third oldest actually in the house. So um, you just kind of have to gauge the dynamic of where each child's at and make the best decision. Right. And we've learned a lot along the way. We, we made, We've made lots of mistakes, I'm sure. Uh, every Everything, I think, when we set out to, to do this, when we were sitting in classes, we'd say, we're going to be the parents that do this. We're not going to be parents to do that. We won't do this, this, this. These are our boundaries. And every single one, I think, uh, that we laid out, I think God really took that and said, be careful about what you think you will do or what you won't do, because I'll challenge you. And um, I mean, we said we wouldn't take a, a placement older than our oldest. Uh, and we did that in the first month that we were open. Mm. Um, we did all kinds of things like that, breaking our own boundaries, doing things that we thought we wouldn't be able to do. Um, and with all in good intentions. Of course. But at the end of the day, you know, when you're faced with a call and, it, and you know, you go back to the, the, the Bible verse that says, you know, uh, you know, every time that, that Jesus knocked on the door, he asked for bread and you didn't give him, you, you didn't feed me. Uh, you know, that's kind of how we felt is every time we got that call was, well, here's someone with a need. And, and if, if we believe, then this is Jesus, you know, how, how would we, how would, how do we want to answer for that? You know? Yeah. And uh, so we kept saying yes. And that's kind of where we ended up, where we're at. Yeah. I, that's interesting, you know, cause I mean, I can see like you, so you talked about Rick, the idea of, um, I mean, some families can't do that or it just really does not sure. work their bio kids or whatever. Um, but just that attitude of, well, maybe we are supposed to say yes to this. Let's process that and pray about it and think through it instead of, nope not doing it. I mean, like, you know, yeah. that's some, that's a line item that I will not cross, you know? And I don't know. I like that you are, I, I don't want to say more, you guys are more sensitive to what is God leading us to do and let's use wisdom in that, but also realize that, you know, some of those things that maybe we put down and we're hard and fast are not necessarily hard and fast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a challenging place to come to. It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you kind of alluded to it, but what 
prompted you to get into foster care? So Lisa, you're talking about like you had family background adoption and you just kind of decided, well, we don't have necessarily the finances or whatever to go through a private. So we're going to do the foster care route. Was there anything else that prompted you? No, I mean, not really. I mean, I, we had talked on and off about the idea of foster care, you know, as we, we tried to figure out, okay, what do we really need to do to position ourselves to, to, to adopt? We had, we had prayed for that for several years to be in that position. And we were just never really there for a number of reasons. And we kept kind of coming back to, to foster care. The classes are the same classes and the County DHR puts those on. So either, either way you have to go through those classes and it was free to do through the County. Um, you know, for me on my end, pragmatically and just practically speaking, it felt like, okay, well, maybe we can do this foster thing for a little bit and try to figure out, you know, how adoption plays a part. And it was, for me, it was all really in my head. You know, it was, it was very logical step-based, not nothing in my heart was like, I really want to foster and make a difference here at the time. And, you know, we just kind of kept coming back to that. Um, finally, uh, we, uh, an interim music uh, pastor and his, his, uh, his family came to, to worship at our church and they were foster and adoptive parents as well. And we could see, we saw them doing it. And it almost felt, uh, again, as a sign that, hey, there are people doing this and, you know, you can do it too. Um, from there, I think we, we really had the conversation of, well, let's, let's take the classes. We were still kind of at arm's length on it in terms of what that meant for us and what we were, what we were going to do. Again, adoption was still the, 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 the goal in our minds. Uh, but we said, well, we can take this step and we can get the classes out of the way and that'll be a step towards adoption. And that's really how we entered into it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, so you've adopted, I mean, out of this, out of the foster system. So tell us about, I mean, how many times? Three, three times, three, three times. Okay. Were they each different? Like how they all played out? Is there, there are, there is, there is no set process. So when you go through classes and I think the laws probably vary by state. Um, but for Alabama, a parent has 12, it's, I think it's 12 out of 22 consecutive months. If a child is in care, then the goal will change from reunification to PPR or termination of parental rights. Um, when you're going through classes, especially if your mind is focused on adoption like ours first was, all you hear is that 12 months. So you think I'm gonna keep a child in my home for 12 months and then they're either gonna go home or we're gonna adopt them. Um, when we changed our heart set to foster care from adoption, we still had in our mind that like no child would be in our home more than like 12 months. Um, that is why we maybe naively took multiple placements in the beginning. I mean, cause our first placement was a sibling group and we thought, well, well a few months later when we got a call for another small sibling group, so we had two and they called for two more. And we had a couple others in between there that were just like one night or a week or whatever. But we thought, well, these guys have been with us for four months. So it's just a few more months. Like that was still our train of thinking. And we were, we just did not know. <laughs> That's not how it actually works. And, and I, I meet foster parents all the time that are very frustrated with that because like they've got a child that's been in their house for two or even three. I mean, our last one was with us for three years. Um, 
So when you, there is, there, yes, at 12 months, if there's been no, no action on the, you know, the parents are struggling with something and whatever it is, they just, I mean, sometimes they just disappear, um, unfortunately. And sometimes they're very active, but they're still struggling. And keep in mind that when you're fostering, a lot of these parents, um, they don't come from good backgrounds themselves. Like, as a matter of fact, the majority of our placements have had at least one parent that was also in care mm. um, when they were growing up. So it's, it's a vicious, vicious cycle and, and trying to love on them and help them. Um, our first placement um, had multiple older siblings. I mean, our first adoption had multiple older, older siblings that had already been adopted. Um, so that is a case where like the state doesn't have to prove reasonable efforts on a parent's part and should be a pretty cut and dry. And it still took um, 19 months for us to get her adopted. And that felt like forever for us. Um, we never even met her biological parents. They never came forward. Um, our, uh, our next adoption um, took two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And that is, I mean, you can't even put that on the part of me. Actually, at one year mark, we went to court we were super supportive of this mom. We loved her. Like she had aged out of the system and we just, we knew she was going to get it together. She wanted to be a mom. We'd seen her with her kids. She was just so gracious. And at, at the one year mark, she actually did not show up for court. Um, and we, we begged for mm -hmm. a continuance. We're like, she can do this. We know she can do this. Um, took a couple of months to get up with her and we sat down and had a conversation with her. Uh, we wanted to support her however we could. And, and she just kind of bowed out after that. Um, and it still took another year and a half to, to terminate her rights. And we're still in contact with her family, but the, those children have been adopted. Those are our sons and we've had them for over a year now. We just celebrated the first anniversary of their adoption. Mm -hmm. So that was a completely different scenario from our first adoption. And yeah, and just real quick in terms of, you know, our relationship with the biological parents, uh, she, that was, that was a really good one, um, in terms of, you know, you you don't really contact them directly or anything like that, but, you know, over the course of whether it's court dates or um, they call ISPs, which are essentially um, meetings between the social workers, the parents, all the parties involved in a case mm -hmm. and to really set, set a plan going forward. And in those, and in those kind of settings, you know, you really develop a, a relationship or you can, you know, if you, if you're open to that and, you, and that's how you, how you interact with it. And that's what we try to do, especially for her, um, and I, I, I remember on numerous occasions, um, you know, Lisa, especially just really trying to, to appeal to her as a mom, you know, asking her, you know, to get her stuff together to, and then we would support because you look like she said, a lot of, a lot of these parents don't have a support system. So asking them to, to parent and then to try to better themselves or do anything with their lives. Uh, it's almost seems really insurmountable without a support. System. It's, it's insurmountable for a lot of us. If we don't have um, family or a church or uh, just good upbringing, you know, so so we wanted to be that um, in, in this case, and um, unfortunately, you know, in terms of that, it didn't really work out. But uh, we were able to 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 adopt in, in that case, and that's been uh, just a great journey, uh, even even though there's hard pieces throughout it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, and our last adoption was probably kind of different in that regard uh, where the the relationship with the the biological parents wasn't on the same sort of level and as you kind of went through that gosh was that two and a half years three years, three years. um well by the time she was adopted it was three years um she had actually also been in care as a baby 
um, for almost a year. So she had spent, she's almost seven and we recently adopted her and she spent over half her life in care. So that was a much longer process too. And I think um, it, it just depends on so many factors. Um, it, it certainly can draw out. It can, um, court dates tend to get continued. Um, something doesn't get filed that should have been filed. Mm-hmm. Something isn't worded right and you have to start over. And there are always, and I, I'm not against second chances or additional chances for parents, for sure. I mean, that's that's grace and that's what the goal is. And I think we need to be supportive of it. There does come a point when you realize that some things are not going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do want permanent. I mean, that's, I think that's where a lot of foster parents get frustrated. You desperately just want a break for the kids and for permanency. And so it's hard. Um, We're going through a situation right now where we've prayed so hard for some parents and they're finally doing the right thing. And um, that also means it's going to be a goodbye for your family. And it's, that's tough. That's very tough, especially after a long period of time. So it, the process is long. It is, you'll often hear it compared to a roller coaster and it is, um, Sometimes you just want off, <laughs> but yeah, but it it's still it's still rewarding. It really mm-hmm. is, um, regardless of how it turns out. I think I think it's rewarding. Yeah, and you grow from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> so what you're you're kind of walking into my next question. I feel like the what prompts you to continue on, to, even though it is such a roller coaster, and you are dealing with, you know, I mean you're dealing with the government. So that's a whole thing. And then you're dealing with parents who may or may not even want their kids back. I mean, there's just so many factors, hard, challenging, like, why are you, why do you stay on the roller coaster? Yeah. I, I would be lying if I had, if I said that there were multiple times that we, we threatened to quit and oh. said, this is it. Um, and I think we are in a good spot right now with just one placement if we if we don't you know end up with more um but every adoption one that we have finalized so we've adopted every year for the past three years so every time we have finalized an adoption we've had another one on the horizon so I mean that's that keeps you open <laughs> you know like we have to renew our home and if you're open you're gonna get calls um and so then you just kind of have to make a decision um but the biggest thing is you can't really unsee a need and, and there's a desperate need here. And it goes back to, can we meet this need? Um, we can't ask ourselves, do we want to meet this need? Because more often than not, no, we, we don't want to meet this need. Um, but can we? And, you know, what about, you remember the bracelets that we wore back in like the 90s? What would Jesus do? Sometimes you just have to ask yourself, what would he do? Can I do this? Um, so, yeah, I, I can't. <laughs> It, it really is. You just can't unsee a need. I can't think of a reason to keep going. I mean, there are so many times that you, you'll cry. I mean, you just, you want to be done. It's heartbreaking. You're upset. Something didn't turn out for a placement the way you wanted it to. And it just, it's hard. It is. It's, it's really, really hard. I can't say, I mean, I know families that have fostered for 20 years and I think, gosh, how do you do it? Um, we, are just what we're at four and a half years now, almost four and a half years. And I, I don't know how many goes that long, especially when you look at our, the size of our family and how much we've grown. Um, it, it makes it hard to consider abnormal, our passionate sibling group. So that tends to get us in trouble. So recently we had taken a sibling group for a few months that 
we kept hearing about. I mean, it presented itself to us three times and they were in different homes and put back together in different homes and put back together. And finally we said, yes. Um, well, with that sibling group, we had 11 kids in our home. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, that's, that's tough. So real tough. Yeah. But, you know, as far as the sibling part goes, you know, Lisa and I are each part of a, a little bit of a larger family growing up. So well, what we thought was well, larger. What we thought was larger. Um, it's but, it's know, interesting how that changes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's perspective, Rick right? is the baby of four, and I'm the middle of six. So we always thought, hey, four to six kids, and yeah, we yeah. have surpassed yeah. that. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, a number of times. But, yeah, you, you hear about sibling groups, and, and, and really the, the fact of the matter is there's not a lot of homes, period. Um, there, there's even fewer homes that are willing to try to keep uh, a sibling group together and you know early on we, we we talked about either if it had been us going into the system at an early age or even the our three biological children you know heaven forbid we were in a car accident and they they ended up in care even for a night the chances of them all staying together are really slim so you think about the trauma of being taken uh, from your parents and what you know and then also being split up from your siblings is was really convicting for us. And that's so she says it gets us into trouble a lot. And it, it kind of does. Um, you know, we've you think about that, that that fluctuation. You know, we were we were at eight and felt like we had settled in and we we're like we're, we're we've got our groove on. We know how eight works, eight kids in the house. And then all of a sudden overnight you're at 11. and logistics feeding dressing kids for school it's crazy it is crazy and then just like that after a few months you're back down to eight and you're like man it's easy after that <laughs> that's yeah. right. a breeze <laughs> <laughs> you're never struggling with how many kids you have just borrow somebody else's kids for a couple of weeks and then when it goes back down you're like i could conquer the world with yeah. these but you know I, I always worry too when when we tell our story a little bit um is because, you know, I hope the message that goes out is when people hear about us and say, gosh, 11 kids, I couldn't do that. I'm not going to foster. Well, man, just one helps just opening your home. And it's not, there's no competition or anything like that. And it's not, uh, well, DHR will try to put as many as they can in your house. Uh, But those boundaries are important. And, you know, again, the statistics she she shared about our county you know, you, you take 150 or 200 kids and you try to cram them into 30 homes. Uh, that's why we have group homes. That's why group homes exist because there's just not enough foster parents. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I think there's, um, I don't want to say da- is a danger. I don't know. But this people, like you said, going 11 kids, what are you nuts? Like, there's no way I cannot pull that off. But like yeah. you said, one kid, like you can say yes to one kid. Um, That's right. And I, I have that same danger. I don't know of when I, you know, even people, and we only have six, you know, and they're like, well, only, yeah. uh, only. world. I mean, you know, it's all relative. That's right. That's right. It's just that well, I couldn't adopt two kids at the same time, whatever it is. And I'm like, you don't have to like one plenty, or if you, it's fine, whatever. So I'm glad you said, said what you said about sometimes, or there's some weird, like holiness competition. How many kids? Uh, No, it is is certainly not 
Um, I, I really struggle with feeling like I'm parading my kids. You know, when you go out in public and you feel like eyes are on them and I certainly don't want to exploit my children, you know, and I don't like attention. I don't, that's why I always recruit Rick and send him to places. Um, right. Cause it's not about us. It's not like, it's certainly not anything. I never wanted to drive a 12 passenger van. <laughs> like, Fair. I mean, me neither. That's right. I mean, it's not, that's not when you're a little girl, what you, I mean, there are, there are, I mean, I see, I hear so many moms and they share their testimonies and they're like, all I ever wanted to be was a mom. And I'm sitting here going, I mean, I kind of wanted kids. I mean, that's, but that's the truth. It's, yep. um, I, adoption was on my heart, but it wasn't, I didn't walk around with baby dolls strapped to me. I had brothers. I have four brothers. I mean, we, we played outside. It wasn't, it wasn't on my radar. Um, it is really a, a faith driven thing for me and yeah. I couldn't do it without him. And I'm, I'm not a perfect parent. Like I have friends that when they talk, they have the softest voice and they're just parenting with just such grace and it just flows from them. And then I'm over here and I'm like, get down. You know, yeah. like, it's oh, completely man. different. Um, yeah. I'm not a perfect parent. I lose my patience. I yell. And I think sometimes people think, well, she's got all those kids and she has a licensed parent and she must be, no. And I, my close friends obviously know me and they know that and that I am my own worst critic in that aspect. I mean, I've done more devotionals on grouchy mom and trying to be the mom who doesn't yell. And I'm a constant work in progress and I'm, I'm a humble mess, but mm. no, I'm far from perfect as a parent. Um, sometimes I think my kids deserve better than me. And, and I remember that there's not anybody else stepping up. Um, they don't need perfect parents. They, they just need someone to love them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> that's a great place that yeah. they just need someone to love them. That's right. Um, so how switching gears a little bit, you, you guys have three biological, is that right? Yes. Three biological. Okay. So when you started the fostering process or, I mean, were they little when this is happening or, they were. um, okay. And our youngest wasn't even two yet. We actually got our first placement before she turned two. And um, so it's always been a part of her life. And she actually, after having our first two, I struggled to get pregnant with her for, for almost a year. And I finally said, you know, God, you know, adoption's always been on my heart. And I said, I need you to either give me a baby, give me peace or open the door for adoption. Huh. And I got pregnant. So he gave me a baby. Well, when she turned one, um, we requested a packet from the state on information for adoption, and we got that packet, and we kind of sat on it. Well, that, that fall is the year Rick mentioned that we got a new music minister, and they were a foster family. So then our older kids were um, five and six, no, five and seven, seven at the time. They were five and seven at the time. Um, and so they got to see this family and make friends with these kids and kind of see this happen, and, and um, by the next January, she was 18 months old when we started classes. So they were, our oldest turned eight, the youngest was seven, he had just turned seven in September, and then she was 18 months. So it's really just kind of been a part of their life. They were little, um, our oldest two, we included the best we could in decisions, even in the beginning. So this is the call, these are the kids, this is their ages. We didn't go into why they were in care with our children, obviously. Um, but just, just praying through and talking to them has just included them in every decision. We don't, we don't put the pressure of a decision on them and they don't get to say once a child's here, Hey, I don't like that kid. That kid has to leave or whatever. Right. We have to learn to get along. There are siblings there are here. Um, but praying with them and just, I don't know. I think it's really made them, they've lived a very sacrificial life in it and they're not perfect kids. I will, you know, I, 
I don't want anybody to think, oh, well, her kids get along all the time and, you know, don't fuss or fight, but, but they have been incredibly humble. Um, there have been times that I have wished that our kids were older and we had more hands to help with little ones. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I often see sometimes when friends have kids that are older and helpful too, they also have, you know, a little bit of more selfish. They wish things were the way they were mm-hmm. not intentionally selfish, but they miss that. And for my kids, there's not that to miss because this has just kind of always been their life. Right. Right. Yeah. They, um, a lot of folks, you know, even early on are always concerned if you have kids in the house, you know, how, how fostering is going to affect your kids. And there's a, there's a lot of fear around, you know, kids that come from hard places and, you know, what they know, what they've been exposed to, what they could do in your home. And, you know, so those, that question is charged with a lot of, there's a lot of good intent in that question, I think, in terms of, you know, how is this going to affect your kids? What about, what about so-and-so? What about this? And, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, though, you know, in our walk, I think we, we really settled in on this mindset of, you know, we, we really want our kids to see what sacrifice looked like. Mm. You know, we don't want, we don't want to, our, our, our offering and our sacrifice to look like Sunday morning. You know, that's, that's, it's not just that it's, it's really a, a lifestyle that, that you, you commit to. Um, and they've sacrificed, um, you know, they don't get to do as many extracurricular activities as some of their peers sometimes. Um, sometimes uh, we don't get to do this vacation because of whatever circumstances we have going on in, in, in what we do. Um, and that's hard. You know, that's, that's hard for a young person to, to kind of grapple with. And, you know, when their friends are doing this, that, or the other. But uh, we've always tried to talk through all that and, and really be open and transparent with them, you know, in, in, in an appropriate ways. They've, they've gotten older. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really, it's been really good to see their heart in it too. You know, they, they've sat in, in our bed and cried when a placement left. Um, you know, I can remember our oldest, you know, crying and just asking why more people don't foster. Why, why do kids have to go through this? And, you know, it's, it's real. And, and for her to see that, I don't, you know, I don't know that there's, I don't know that I can put enough um, emphasis on, on, the importance of her being able to see that and kind of start to grasp uh, that this world is a broken place. There's a lot of joy in it uh, that we get to be a part of, but there's a brokenness that we have to interact with and we have to, um, we have to, we have to charge ourselves to, to help with. I, I think, and I hope it, it teaches them the value of people and relationships over things too. I mean, so often when people look and, you know, they say, well, how do you do it with all those kids? Well, you have a built-in playmate. <laughs> I mean, you really do. That's true. All these toys in our home and literally all of ours are outside playing together right now. I mean, they're just, they're having the time of their life. And, and they do, they're, they're, they're humans. They hurt, they cry when their friends leave. Um, they're totally for more kids always. I mean, some of <laughs> our, our favorite movies are Cheaper by the Dozen and Your Son and Ours. And every time they watch them, they compare, well, mom, they've got more kids than us. And I'm like, that's great for them. That's good. Like, that's awesome. Um, so they love the big family aspect because there is always someone to play with. And um, like I said, they, they hurt when these kids go, they hurt when we have a child who maybe has siblings in another home, especially our oldest. She takes that really hard because she is the oldest of a large sibling group and she can't imagine having her younger siblings taken from her and placed in a different home. Um, and even at her age, she's, 
she'll be 13 in February and she sees the trend to where people only want younger children and don't want older children. And that scares her because she realizes that if it was her and her, a lot of her siblings, they would quickly be separated and, and pulled apart. And so that's, that's a tough realization. And, and, and you see your own children say, well, when I grow up, I'm going to foster and I'm going to take sibling groups like mom and dad. And, and they may or they may not. I hope, I hope they do. You know, that would be awesome. But if they don't, then I get that too. I hope that at least they will know how to support people and value those people and those relationships. That's so good that you brought out the, um, I, I don't know. I've, I feel like that resonates a little bit with our family as well. Cause I, um, just it's kind of entertaining in some ways even my big kids are like so why don't we have more yet it's a little funny that you're saying that I mean because they're the first ones that'll fuss about their siblings (laughs) yeah but that's right around and be like well so That's right. It is so interesting. Anyway, and then I'm, anyway, I just think kids just enjoy the, you know, part of it's enjoying the aspect of there's so many people to play with. And I've noticed that, you know, we are the sort of, even in the neighborhood, the kids gravitate towards our backyard and, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of all congregate together so when we bought our our, our bus we call it our bus our 12 yes. van. I mean, yeah. all the kids friends wanted to ride home with us from school yes everybody can i can i ride with gabby can i ride and it's not like adults like adults are looking at you going okay i would never drive that i'm not right. i mean like right. they refuse to take more just because they refuse to drive more than a minivan right. and the kids think it's the coolest thing in the world. So hopefully we are affecting this whole generation that's, that's right. going to grow up and all watch 12 passenger vans because my right. friends had it and it was the coolest thing ever. It was, so it was, we'll see. We'll van, see. Van sales gonna, are going to explode in Houston County. <laughs> yes. It's going to be out of control. That's right. Oh my word. That's really funny. Um, so what are some of, you've talked some about some of the challenges of being foster parents, and then can you take it into, um, what are some of the hard things that come with these children, you know, the hard, hard things they've experienced and behavior struggles, and I mean, we met you guys at... (laughs) Yeah. A conference all about how we all are challenged by kids yeah. and their yeah. stuff. Um, so you know that I know um, some of the stuff that goes on. What um, what have you guys experienced that have been just really big challenges that you've had to overcome, maybe behaviorally or I don't know. And of course, at the at the conference we met, you know, we are big believers of the the TBRI Empowered to Connect Care Purpose Institute. Just putting that relationship before the behavior is a big thing, and remembering to do that because um, these are scared kids. These are really really scared children, and I think the majority of our and of course we've heard stories from other foster parents and that have dealt with things that we never have. Um, bedtime just always seems to be the hardest nap times and bedtimes and these kids get still and start to just get quiet and their mind starts to race yes you know what what's going to happen tomorrow am I safe here am I going to stay here and it's just that has been a real struggle I mean we our first placement um were two little boys that were they were two and three at the time and it would take us three hours 
to get them to sleep at any time. And it was a great time to sit and listen to worship music or do your devotional um, because you would just sit there and they would, they would get out of bed and you would just, you'd put them back in the bed and they'd pop right back out and you'd put them. And I mean, it took months to get them to, to go to bed. It was just, it wasn't even, they were doing anything. You just, I mean, they just weren't going to stay in the bed. It was just a physical way. Like I'm not going to stay in the bed no matter what time it is kind of thing. And that tends to be, I mean, to a six-year-old that would be in the bed and would just randomly shout out like, ah, you know, just and laugh. It wasn't, it wasn't anything. Just they get still and they get quiet and that fear sets in. I think bedtime has has always been our more challenging. Um, We we had a placement too that we, we like our adventures. We like to travel. Um, We like to just get in the car and go. And sometimes we go really far. And we had one that if you were not at home when the sun went down, would just totally freak out you know where are we going are we going to go home are we going to stay the night when are we going like he was just so concerned but I mean you you keep in mind that these are children that may not know where they were going to sleep each night or what was going to happen um so just really trying to channel where they come from and where they're at and sometimes you may never know I mean I tell foster parents all the time because you'll see a child that is violent or getting triggered by something you may never know what that trigger is. It could be a color. It could be a smell. It is so hard to pinpoint exactly what's going on with these kids. Um, so I, I, I try my best not to focus on, on the behavior itself, but there are certainly some things that are, that are unpleasing. And I have to remind myself that my bio kids have some traits that are unpleasing. And I'm sure we all have traits that are very unpleasing to the Lord. And I try to channel that grace and extend it. I'm not always good at that. Again, I'm far from a perfect parent, but I, I'm trying to think. I think yeah, the, I, the bedtime thing is the, is the worst we have seen. Yeah, I think I think you know we haven't we haven't faced a ton of probably behavior issues. I, you know, it, you do try to relate it all and, and understand that that comes from from trauma and comes from an anxiety that you know we all have anxiety. We've we've just grown to where we, we understand different ways to cope with it. And these, these kids have not had that luxury. Mm. So they're a lot of times when they're anxious or scared, they try to control what they can control. And um, that presents a lot of times as behaviors. We did have um, one placement in our home that he would just scream and, and be loud and not want to, not really want to, to interact and do other things. And it really took, you know, understanding, I think for him touching, like holding, holding him was really the only kind of comfort you could kind of get him to calm down with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, again, we, we don't always know what those triggers are or exactly where it stems from, but at the bottom of everything, it's a basic need to just be, feel safe you know, feel, uh, like you, you are loved and, and sometimes they don't know what love is. Uh, and that's what, that's what makes the, the foster parents role. So real, really important, uh, even if it's for a short period of time and just developing that trust in that, that safe space. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably the most 
individually challenging one, but bedtime has been probably the recurring kind of with, with a lot of our places. And, and maybe it's just because I like my sleep. So it's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard one for me to handle. I mean, if they're, they're struggling at night. Um, and our, our niche too has kind of been, we have fostered from the youngest, I think was five weeks to 13 years. But our niche has mostly been preschool because preschoolers are just, they're hard. I mean, that's a hard age. And you throw in a little bit of trauma and it's just, it's crazy. And so preschoolers tend to, to get disrupted and passed around. And we just, I think, found our niche there. That's how we ended up. I think at one point we had seven children who were born under, um, yeah. again, not intentional. Like we still in our happy heads thought, well, these are going home in a few months. Um, but somehow it helps because kids are better at meeting that emotional need. You know, when a child's scared of an adult because of something they've been through and there's other kids there that are happy and having fun and somebody free to play with, there's just something about it. Like they can just instantly welcome and warm each other and go and play together. And eventually that child's going to come around and they're going to realize, Hey, this kid trusts you. Like you seem, you seem cool. <laughs> you know, like, and I, I think that helps a little bit. So that that's just kind of been our niche and that's what's helped with us is having so many has helped somehow yeah I, so I will say trying to go back in, in the placements now or the, I, I wouldn't call this a behavior but it, it sticks out in my mind as just one of those stories um our we had a 13 year old in our home uh which is the oldest we've had in our home and he was the sweetest and most well-mannered uh young man uh bigger than me you know, and I'm not a big man, but at the same time, you know, you hear all the stories you're going into it and you're like, okay, what are we getting ourselves into? Mm. But super sweet, super well-mannered. Um, and I remember that first night, uh, he woke up probably about two or three in the morning screaming. Mm. And, uh, he, he had, he had felt like, uh, and this is his description of it, that, that a demon was holding him down in the bed. Mm. And, uh, you know, he was, he was so shaken. And in that moment, you know, all I knew to do was just pray with him. And, you know, we, we, we opened up, uh, he had a Bible, we opened up his Bible and we just started reading, um, and just trying to war, you know, and, uh, you, you kind of come through that and things settle down. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, it's like three or four in the morning I'm like, well, I'm not getting back to sleep now. It's like, so, uh, I think, uh, I said, Hey, you know, you want to go watch a movie or something? So we, we, I remember we finished out that, that night, that morning, uh, watching Good Burger on Netflix. So, oh, and, and then, and then I realized the next morning I was out of coffee. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so we don't make that mistake anymore. Right. But that, yeah, I and guess. Just being, just being, not, I wouldn't say I was even prepared, but being, understanding that um, what you're walking into really is spiritual warfare on a number of fronts and uh, just being willing to, to, to meet, meet the, meet the day and meet the circumstances. Yeah. Even at 2am. <laughs> at 2am. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. So joys as a foster parent, um, I think you guys talked some about, you know, you've, you've adopted three kids out of the system. Um, and four, four, losing count this is terrible Sorry. anyway we do to that too so i know it's well yeah my kids <laughs> i throw my sister's name in when i randomly oh. how did I, anyway anyway um so some of the joys of 
being foster parents or things that you really sort of hang on to um, when, you know, when life is not peaches and cream and it's really a challenge. What are some Um, things that you enjoy? I mean, obviously the kids, I mean, they're, they're great. Um, The relationships they have with each other and with us. But, you know, some of the added bonuses that I think a lot of people, when you think about foster care, don't, don't think about is, you know, sometimes these birth families and their stories are such a blessing to you. Um, one that really sticks out is um, we did respite for another foster home. So we had the kids for a week and this was early on in our journey. And they, they were on their way to, to reunifying with the mom and dad, like the mom and dad actually had unsupervised visits and they came to our home and picked them up. And, and mom was just, I mean, she was great. Like at this point in their recovery, they were actually, um, if you've heard of like Celebrate Recovery that a lot of churches do, they were leading a Celebrate Recovery class locally. And um, they kind of got the kids from our house and took them to, you were here for a little while, you know how big the National Peanut Festival is. Mm-hmm. You, know, you gotta go to the fair and they took them to the fair and brought them back that night. And just hearing their story and seeing that work you know, the way that they, they had worked so hard to get their kids back. And now they were working to help other people that were struggling with addiction was just, was just beautiful. I mean, the way that God puts people in your path is just absolutely amazing from, you know, when we started our journey and we're praying about adoption, you know, obviously God brought that minister to our church. And I remember I was sitting at the dentist office one day with my kids and there was a lady sitting next to me and she had two babies that were clearly not twins. They were not exactly the same age, one was, but they were too close to the um, they were too close to be, you know, born at different times. Like shouldn't have one and nine months later have one, yeah. another one. And, um, I was admiring them and I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if she, I mean, just in there in my head, I was wondering if she fostered and there was another little girl with her and she sat next to me and she looked at me and she said, I'm adopted. And I was like, well, you are, are you? <laughs> and I opened up that conversation and, and that mom, they foster in a different County, but we're friends now. And it's, it's just great to see how God works things out and puts people in your paths when you're thinking about things. Um, and when you get discouraged about kids don't go home and families are broken, then you meet that birth parent that has worked so hard to get their kids back mm-hmm. and you see changes in people. And I, I think that's amazing. Um, so there's, there's, there's so many joys from the kids to their families, to, to being able to love on other foster families and adoption families. I mean, without us taking I mean, our house is maxed out in space, but being able to do respite, we just did two weeks back-to-back respite for sibling groups because the perks of the 12 passenger van is that you can do even respite and, and keep a sibling group together for a week and not have to have them separated into different homes. So those are the little joys that just kind of add up and mean a lot. I mean, when you've had 12 days of three extra kids and they leave, the joy is your own family, but, but being able to give those foster parents um, a break and they'll know that their kids are safe and loved. And with, you know, I mean, we're not 20 years experienced, but I would say at this point, we're probably experienced foster parents and that they're safe and having a good time. I think that's, that's definitely enjoyable for us. Yeah. And earlier, Lisa said that, you know, once you, once you see a need, it's, it's really hard to unsee it. Mm. And I think the other truth that really goes along into that is that, you know, once you feel like there's, there's a purpose or a call, you know, there's just a lot of joy in, in trying to meet that, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to explain, but once you feel like you're, you've, you've done something worthwhile, it's really hard from even just a joy perspective to, to imagine yourself not doing that, you know, 
or not being involved in trying to 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 make a difference in in that in that whatever that need space is. And I would say that's probably that's true for anybody with a call, whether it's foster or adoption or homeless ministry or or whatever. I think that's so cool. You talk a lot, right? I mean, you you mentioned the concept of calling. Um now just kind of flesh that out a little bit. So, you know, the I guess I want to say the evangelical Christian world or whatever. Some people view adoption and foster care and, you know, whatever, like this is my jam and my ministry. And some people are like, do you know how many children are in this County? Like I can care less if you think it's your calling, you need to get in there. So where, where do you fall in that thought process? Um, so, so it's funny you bring that up. So I'm, I probably am more on the lines of, and I think we probably both are, uh, there is such a need. And I think the call is, is so, so clear in the Bible that, uh, that's it, we are, we're commanded to just love on people. And while I do, I do believe that the concept of a calling, and I think it is, it's a clear calling on our lives at the same time. I, you look at you look at um, I'm using the royal we as Christians. You, you look at what we do, and a lot of times, for the vast majority of us, we don't look any different in the world. Mm. And uh, for me, there's a there's a real there's a real conviction that man, if you, if you don't have if you don't have something that you are clearly called to do it's not hard to look in the Bible and see what he, he, he does command of us. And that's, that's to, to love on the orphans and the widows and to love people. And again, you, you look at those verses where he speaks so clearly about loving another person uh, and the, the idea of when he needed clothes, you gave him clothes or you didn't, you know, the, the separation of, believers uh, the separation of religious people as goats and those who believe in him as sheep is is in in the book of matthew is just so clear to me um and it feels like if we continue to use excuses um and these are these are excuses that we've heard um i'm probably going a little bit off on a tangent now but when we've talked about the idea of foster care with people we've we've literally heard someone say uh, we can't do those classes because they're on Tuesday and that's when ball is, you know, um, as in where are your priorities? As, yeah, exactly. Where, where are the priorities? And if the priority, um, whether it's actually becoming a foster parent or it's jumping in and loving on biological parents or supporting, supporting a, a lady that's going through a tough pregnancy, um, there's a way that we can interact as a church. Uh, and we, we probably all have a lot of different calls on our lives. Uh, but it's so hard when you see, when you see one that, that feels like it's been neglected in a lot of ways, you know, by the, the, the Christian church at large. Mm -hmm. Um, to be honest with you, the reason that, that, that foster homes and group homes exist is because the church has not gotten involved. And that's something that we, we've been really passionate about trying to, to recruit and just give a light to, to what things could look like and what things could be if, if uh, the church has got involved. I think in Houston County, there's 
something like over 200 churches in Houston County. If every church had one foster family, then we would have more than enough homes to meet the need of foster children in our in our community. And I wouldn't have to have 11 kids in my house. Right. <laughs> yeah. it, does, it does it does sound selfish but Wait, you know, no. you know uh, but it, you know selfish to me it's just it's just that idea of man we can do so we can do so much more um we could be something really powerful and uh it's when you see a need you can't unsee it and i think you spend a lot of time trying to get others to see that need as well mm-hmm. yeah i'm i mean i'm with you on the yeah i mean adoption front i guess is where we have headed and um i'm i'm glad you brought that out because i do think there is sometimes you know whatever in christian world if you will yeah (laughs) concept of well that's i'm not good at that and yeah i'm like doesn't matter (laughs) i'm not good at that that's not and i think for me i often hear people especially in christians when they'll they'll meet us or talk to us and they're like oh yeah i've prayed about adoption and and my my thought always is if you're praying about it god has already laid it on your heart Mm. so stop trying to talk him out of it Mm. he wants to bless you i can promise you that will it be easy no is anything in life easy no (laughs) so i i really believe that if it's on your heart then take that first step, show God, you know, you're willing to do that. Go to that class because you never know he's going to change your heart and make something beautiful of it. Uh, like I said, four to six kids and we've loved so many. I mean, we have a truly beautiful family. Of course, I tell people all the time and you know this yourself. Um, our blended family is more than just a pretty Facebook photo. There's a lot that goes on behind there and counseling and therapy. It's, it's real and it's needed, but it's, it's so worth it. It is uh, you know, like we said, we made a lot of mistakes in the beginning and we were very naive, um, but would we absolutely do it all over again the same way? Yes. Mm-hmm. To get, to get to where we are now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, Lisa, you just talked about, you know, you're really in the challenge. I mean, I'm obviously speaking from the adopted perspective, but you know, in the challenge and the hard and the difficult and the, why did I do this to myself? And why are you acting this way? And what is happening? (laughs) Um, There's just, I feel like there's just ways you can't grow as a believer until you experience, it doesn't necessarily have to be with a kid that came from a hard place, but Hey, in the United States, the, we don't have a lot of things that push us over the edge, if you will. There's not a lot of things that make us really like butt up against the wall and go, well, it's Jesus or you're going to die. I mean, like I cannot hang. And I think it's so good that, um, you know, you, but you grow so, so deep, like it just in ways you couldn't, I just have not, I thought I was growing as a parent, like a biological parent, which I mean, you do. (laughs) But (laughs) when you, adopt or you foster or you're in that it's like a whole nother level of of leaning into Jesus that's been my experience he he wants us to draw closer to him though and he'll use those experiences and that's why he'll he'll give you that's what I'm saying if you just follow him and trust him he wants to bless you and maybe it's with a closer relationship to him because you just don't know you're you're gonna be 
in the middle of something and you're going to stop and you're just going to say his name and you're just going to start to pray. And that that's what he wants for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think sometimes as Christians, especially in the United States, because like you said, there's not a lot of hard, hardships, <laughs> maybe more this year than they have been yeah. in the past. But yeah, that's true. You, yeah. <laughs> but you, you don't, we don't live a sacrificial life. Mm-hmm. We live life the way we want and we do God on Sundays. Sometimes other days, sometimes we have a cross around our neck. Sometimes we are an American, you know, Christian that, that does what we want to do, but we're not, we forget that we're supposed to be chasing after him and he's supposed to be first. I mean, we live in what's technically called the Bible belt and you've been here and you know, the truth, our idol here is sports. Mm. We, we idolize sports. And I think that people free, I mean, God says have no other idols. And if we can't make search on Sunday and we can't do something God's called us to do, like look after orphans because of ball, that's a problem. Yeah. You know, I, I love sports too. So I don't right. want anyone to hear this I mean, and say, you, you know, in sports, but it's, you know, I, I, yesterday, like all over Facebook, I'm looking at the Braves, you know, or the world series. And I'm thinking, when is the last time that anybody that dropped that kind of money to go see these Braves play, dropped that kind of money in an offer plate or to a charity? Yeah. Um, and that that's tough to say that gets you that gets you on a hate list here in the south it yeah. does when you say that out but but we do we we put we put other things um before we put god and and we're gonna stand before him with right. that one day yep agreed yeah no and i think it's good you know you just have to call a spade a spade like yeah real life you don't make so, a lot of friends doing it but yeah it is well it is. i don't yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's okay I'm not trying to make a friend. I'm trying to make a spot for myself and hopefully take people with me. You know, I I want eternity. Yes. And also that you're talking about doing this out of your love for Jesus instead of I have to do this so that Jesus, you know, gives me the pat on the back. Like sometimes I think even in our, you know, those of us who believe that Jesus, you know, Jesus is it grace alone. That's the end of the story. Um, I think even I know I can get it, you know, twisted in my head of feeling like, well, I have to also do this for him to give me the gold star, if you will. Well, Um, it's so so humbling because I think, you know, and this, I would say this about whether it's biological parenting or adoptive or, or foster parenting, but, you know, when you're dealing with behaviors and, and you're just like, oh, we talked about this. Why can't you get this? Like, and, and you keep going down the road and, and there's moments of clarity where you're just like, well, that's what, that's what Jesus says when he's looking at me. And that's what God's like, I, you know, yes. I've, I've corrected you, corrected you, I've corrected you, you know, when are you going to get it? And, but then we still go back to the same vices or the same behaviors that we do that, that we know dishonor him. So it's, it's a real hum, it's real humbling uh, in that regard. And I think, you know, as, as you grow through that, I think that the, that, hopefully instills in, in us ability to, to give grace in the way that we've been given grace. Yes. You know, and it's, it's just about loving someone that needs it, yes. you know, yeah. right. just the right. way, the same way that we need it uh, from our father. Right. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's so good. Um, so uh, I feel like maybe you've answered this next little question that I had, but you know, how has your walk with the Lord influenced and sustained you on your journey? And it seems like you've just kind of trickled that answer into the entire conversation of you couldn't do it without 
um a relationship. no i i you know we foster because you know there are christian agencies that you can foster through and we foster directly through the county or state and um i tell people all the time i'm like i mean you don't have to be a christian to foster i don't know how you do it otherwise i don't either um, i i need him i need him every hour every minute of every day to be with me on this journey um it gives me peace when you know when you're going through ups and downs of trials and dates and you don't know what's happening I need that peace that only he can give yes you know I need that comfort that I don't have to worry about tomorrow because he's got it under control yep yep yeah I I remember you know early on again we were we were really naive and I yeah probably still are certain times that uh, with our first placement, you know, Lisa mentioned just the struggle getting them to, to bed or even nap was a struggle, mm. you know, and I, I can remember, you know, she would, she'd be sitting by, a, you know, a toddler bed and, you know, with her devotional and things like that. And for, for weeks, our prayers were, you know, God, please, you know, change them, help them, help them be better, help them, you know, fix them. I fix mean, we right? pray for God normal. to fix these kids. Like, right? yes. But then, you know, as, as Lisa, Lisa so often is able to do, she, she has a, she has a really unique ability just to tap into what, what God is, is, is leading her in uh, and speaking to her. And, and, you know, she said that prayer really needed to change. And that prayer became more, you know, God, please, please change me to be the parent that they need, mm-hmm. you know, to be who they need me to be not about us changing them, but uh, just who they need. And, right. and I think, uh, you know, that, that really speaks to the heart of, of what we, what we wanted to try to do the rest of the way, mm-hmm. um, and meet this trauma and, and this need. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, so kind of as we wrap up, um, is there anything that you would say to the audience? What would you, our listeners, what would you want them to leave with? If I gave you the floor, two minutes of what do the walls say to the world? <laughs> I mean, I just do it. Yeah, just, just. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't even matter to me. Um, you know, if it's from foster care, there there are orphans everywhere, and you know that. Um, our my even when I thought that we might would adopt privately, you know would have been probably domestic. That's just where my heart is and it's in our community. Um, and even growing up, that was on my mind, of course, obviously Rick's mom grew up in the Philippines. So we, we probably would have entertained that idea at some point, but learning what I've learned, I mean, God has put so many people around. I mean, we now have friends who have adopted from foster care, who have adopted privately, domestically, internationally, um, embryo adoption, as you know, and just so many, and it, these are not rich people, you know, these are not like, there's just so many ways to do it and, and just educate yourself. It can be done. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to, don't, don't let that stop you. There are orphans that need love. And if you're thinking about it, start asking questions, start talking to people. You can do it. Um, don't let anything stop you. There are resources to help you. If somebody's trying to talk you out of it, that that's the devil. I mean, he wants these orphans to stay and, and, and cause people will tell you too, like, oh, we don't have orphanages anymore. Well, you and I both know that that's not true. <laughs> and even in the United States, I mean, we have children that are in group homes that don't belong there that are in residential facilities that don't belong there just because we don't have enough homes. Mm-hmm. We've got churches full of people yet. We don't have enough homes for orphans and that, that just doesn't add up to me. So I would say, um, just do it. I mean, just 
rip that bandaid off and, and go and, and give those parents, be that father to the fatherless. They need it. Yeah. And really let go of whatever excuses that, that you have, whether it's a schedule or whatever America has taught you is important for, for your family. Uh, be willing to lay that down at, at Jesus's feet, um, especially this, I'm not speaking to the Christians out there. Um, be willing to lay that down and just say, what would you have me do? And it may not be foster care. It may not be adoption. It might be, you know, working with, with biological families and, and helping war with war against addiction with somebody. But we've got to stop worrying about, uh, about getting our hands and feet dirty and really, really try to be Jesus's hands and feet, the scarred hands and feet that are Jesus that, and that with that comes sacrifice. Um, but there's so much reward and there's so much joy that is there if we will just let God write that story. Yeah. All right. Well, we can finish the podcast right now. You guys did a mic drop. So impressed. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thank you. Rick and Lisa, thank you. Yeah, so thanks much. for having thank us. You. Thank you. And, and thanks Bye. for, like I said, for hosting because you're all of these families are great. I love hearing the stories and I'm a little bit behind on some of them, but again, we selfishly get our CEUs there. So I need those hey, hours. But, but I love it's it. great to hear the different stories from, you know, adult adoptees to people that have adopted in different aspects and special needs ministries. And I just, I love hearing it. Um, obviously we love Kentucky and where you're at. I can't wait to visit that coffee shop that was mentioned in one of the I know. Yeah. <laughs> the coffee is great. I will is say that. Great? <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously we love our coffee. So um, yeah, right. definitely, definitely can't, we love Kentucky anyway. So yeah, good. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Thank guys. You. I just, thank um, you. really grateful for the story and looking forward to having everybody yeah. listen. Thank you for listening to this conversation from the BRV. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and that it inspires you to live out your own brave story.